0: Welcome to the Grace Fellowship Church of a podcast. Our desire is to help you grow in your journey with Jesus, no matter where you are. For more information, please check out our website at www.gfchurch.net. I get to preach, uh, I have the privilege of preaching today on Philippians, and so here's my, uh, my gimmicky slide. And I'll just play my cards right away. I won't be that guy that makes you wait 10 minutes to understand what's going on here. In the passage, he says, do this so you can shine brighter. So, and the this of that is unity. And I really want to really expand on that. So this is shamelessly topical, Arjun. But you can judge me later or judge me out in front for everyone to see because that's kind of go along with what we say. Um, so Philippians, as we know... We should talk about the city, we should talk about the church, because context is everything, right? The, the city itself, pastor set up for us, uh, whenever he started it off, I think three weeks ago, talked about how it was a city populated by retired Roman soldiers. It was a city that Paul came to in Acts, and that's where the Philippian jailer was, that's where Lydia was, these were some of the initial members of the church. I don't know if that's the right language, but that's who they were. And, um, and then he was run out of the city. He got on a basket, jumped out over the wall, so they were off and running. Paul wasn't there very long. Um, I'm sure not as long as he wanted to be, evidenced by running away in the middle of the night in a basket. So Paul talks about unity in chapter 2, but the overarching theme of Philippians over and over is joy and thanksgiving, joy and thanksgiving. It's tied in, it's tied in, and Paul is very clear when he expresses how thankful he is for the Philippian church. And Arjo last week, introduced us to this topic. He very quickly walked, talked through this passage right here, complete my joy, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And I really want to expand on that because I don't know that we can look at the second half of chapter 2 without really wrapping our heads around the first half of chapter 2. So... If you're following along, I have these three points in the outline. The first one Paul encourages unity. So let's, let's read Philippians 2. Let's read, I think I have, there it is, 2 through 18. So I have some overlap with last week. I feel uh, compelled to say, uh, follow along with the Q code or the U version. What is it the pastor says over and over? <laughs> I'm not doing it well. If he's watching right now, he's ashamed of me. So I'll have to navigate that later. So here we go. Complete my joy, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was not in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant Being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, even if I am, to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So there are themes of unity just woven throughout this text. And and I do think, um, this is why I'm shamelessly topical for this part, because I think it's really hard to pull out those themes. Oh, not yet, go back. That's my secret slide. (laughs) Feel better. Okay, good. All right. Um, and I, and I, I, re- I, just, I just think it's very important to pull them out. And, and like most times when I get to speak up here, which is not that often, I do feel like typically it lands in a place where I've been hammered over the last couple weeks. So it's not an accident that we're talking about this because my head was in these weeds <laughs> of unity. And then... I've lived out some challenges in the last couple of weeks, and I've been able to think about them through the lens of this. So what I want to be clear about is that I think if we had a learning objective, when we walk out the door today, the only thing, the main thing I want us all to be able to walk away with is, do we have a better or an improved or an enhanced understanding of what biblical unity is? And I'm going to prove that to you with a picture that, don't, don't go there yet, don't go there yet. <laughs> so we're going to do like a pre-test, potest test thing. And we're going to, if a picture's worth 1,000 words, I'm about to show you, I think it's like 7,000 words. So go ahead, Mary, throw, us, throw the slide up for us. So, actually, you know what? let's pause, let's pray. If we read our scripture, let's ask for some guidance, for some, for some uh, wisdom. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for bringing us here today. We thank you for the opportunity to gather as a body uh, and uh, Lord, I do pray we are a united body. I pray that today we would learn, we would think critically, uh, we would be able to apply some standards, some, some teaching, some lessons from scripture to our own lives, that we would be able to walk out today having a better understanding of what biblical unity is, and that we would apply it. And we'll thank you for it in all these things. In your son's name, amen. So let me, I'm going to do that thing where I give you my back. I'm sorry, I can't, that just messes with my head. So we have seven pictures here. I'm not going to tell you which ones have or don't have unity. This is very subjective. All I'm really hoping for is that when I show you the slide again in, whatever, 15 or 20 minutes, you look at it a little bit differently. So we have, uh, and I'll save the top left one. That's a little salacious. We'll save that for the last one. So let's go bottom right and then work over. We have a, a slide taken or a picture taken off of the Habitat for Humanity website. That's what that is. We have just some generic protest. I don't know what they're protesting. I didn't want to know because I didn't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And then we have uh, Olympics. This is the Tokyo Olympics. We have some competitors who are smiling and happy, standing on a stand together. The top right one's a bit of a wild card. We, we, we don't really know what's going on there, but I imagine most of us in this room know what that feels like to be on either end. Then we have a congregation in a church. We have a family out hiking, and this top left one. This is my freebie historical trivia moment. This is a Nazi rally. Does anybody know where that was held? Madison Square Garden. Madison Square Garden. What year was it held? Uh, probably 1920. Uh, 39. Wait, not everyone? <laughs> doesn't that make you sick? Yes. <laughs> yes. So we'll come back to that. I don't want to judge the picture, but we have, we have a rally, a political rally, a Nazi rally held in America, 1939. Um, yeah, I could, I could probably talk for hours about that, but that's not the point. That's the history in me. That's not the Bible in me. So let's keep moving. Go ahead, Barry. So let's, let's start talking through what Paul might want us to learn about this. Scattered throughout this passage, and I'll do my best to tie in with specifics as we go, but I didn't want to muddy down the slide, I wanted the slide to be pretty clean. Paul's very clear in this passage, what is and isn't unity. And I think some of these are very intuitive. Some of the words, the meanings behind the words are very intuitive. Um, We are going to break out two of the words and spend a lot of time on those two words, and you'll see why in a minute. Let's talk about what it is. Well, what it is, it's considerate. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. It's Christ-like. It seems silly that we have to call that out, but we do have to call that out. You guys ever find yourselves throughout the week like trying to decide what's right, and then all of a sudden it just hits you, what, what's the Christ-like action here? And then it kind of clears it up a little. Sometimes we forget. It's so simple. We should call it out. It's blameless and innocent. He uses those words exactly. What is unity not? It's not selfish. It's not conceited. And he calls that out in the text. And then the two words, so as I, as I dug a little bit into the original language, all the words up to now made very, a lot of sense to me. And I, I don't see the need to spend the time explaining them. It's intuitive, as I said. But grumbling and disputing are two things called out in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. I didn't understand the depth of these words. So before we go to the... Oh, wait, let me think. Yes, let's go to the next slide. So is this what came to mind when you heard these words, grumbling and disputing? Somebody being loud and maybe a little bit obnoxious, yelling, maybe someone complaining? Or is this what came to mind? Barry, it should do it. There we go. Almost like a double face. Because the meaning of those words, and we'll keep going, Barry. We'll go to the next one. Here they are. Austin would do a better job pronouncing the words than me. So if you want that level, you can find him after. But here's the meaning of these words. Grumbling. Secret displeasure. Not openly avowed. This is right out of the interlinear these aren't my words. Disputing. What is disputing? And why does he pair these together? There's a theme going on. A thought, an inward reasoning, an assumption of superiority, or deliberating, questioning what's true. Now, what do we know about the, or the, hmm, the Philippian church? Let's go back to that context piece a little bit. So they were generous. They were mature. They seemingly didn't have a lot of big challenges going on. Apart from that little spike of persecution at the beginning, there's nothing really called out in the book about their current trials. There's there's some things, but it's not like a level like the Jerusalem church being scattered to the four winds. So what I think is fascinating is that Paul has to call out unity to that church. It's a church that's settled. They're thankful. They're generous. They've been staying in touch with Paul. Paul's 800 miles away in a Roman prison And they took the initiative to stay in touch with him, to send him a gift, to make sure he was doing okay. And they were struggling with this. He calls out a specific situation in chapter 4 where he actually lists two names. I want these two people. I want them to get along. So how did he know about that? Again, 800 miles away, and somehow that made its way to him. And somehow he sent it back to them. My point here, beyond just the, the context and the importance of it is, this isn't like a hard and fast golden rule, but I do believe strongly that in the absence of external stressors, internal ones start to creep in. We didn't, we didn't hear about the Jerusalem church struggling with unity while they were being scattered across the Middle East. They, that was not their problem. They were united. They were strong. That was called out, that persecution was called out as the thing that was primarily responsible for the early church's spread and growth and evangelism and discipleship happening. But here's a church that arguably comes out of that whole diaspora I just mentioned to you because it came from Paul and Paul was part of it. And they're settled. They're in a pretty wealthy city. They're, they're decently well known. They're, they're doing good work. And they're just whispers of disunity. So I think for us, some of what, like kind of that picture, that picture of the woman yelling at the phone, are we, that's not what disunity is. Disunity is quiet. Disunity is me talking to Jill and putting on a happy face and secretly being like, you are so dumb. I don't believe a word you're saying. Or whatever it is that husbands and wives do, which I think anybody in this room could fill in the blank there. Dwayne, do you want to share? (laughs) Ask. Just check in. <laughs> um, so, I hope this is the main thing I really want. I, I this is this this is the whole point of my whole message. And and parentheses when I was timing myself, like how long am I going to be up here? It was anywhere from ten to thirty minutes. So, <laughs> doing great. So, it all comes down to speed and cadence and word choice. Now let's talk about though wait a second, how internalized and how tricky that definition becomes. So if I'm seeing somebody yelling at each other, I might think they're not on the same page. They might be. They might be working it out. Think of that couple I showed you, the ones at the top right where the woman was, you know, whatever she was doing and the man had his head in his hands. They could be in that moment unified because they're hashing something out really important. Or they could be in that moment totally broken if things are being left off the table. So that's why I didn't really wanna go to a place of telling you what those pictures meant because sometimes you don't have enough information. You can take that snapshot and not know enough of what's going on. And if you rush to judgment, if you rush to the next steps without knowing what's going on, well, now now we know what's about to happen, something really bad, something really confusing, something where we might not, Resolve an issue, we might make it much worse. So let's go to the next slide, please. Last one. Paul models unity. I want to think about this for a minute because Paul, one of the comment, commentators, comment, commentators, it hurts my brain, Ardrell. I read, talked about Paul and mapped out the book of Philippians and actually took a, a higher level, it kind of zoomed out a bit and said, Philippians is the book where Paul talks about himself and his own Christ-like journey overall. So in this passage, we have Paul talking about, I'm happy to be poured out for you. I'm happy to be sacrificed for you. Well, who does that sound like? That sounds like like Jesus. And here here he is, you know, going through political, like, maybe that's too strong. He's incarcerated. He's he's in legal trouble. Sounds a lot like Jesus, too. And he was happy to go through it. Sounds a lot like Jesus. So again, I I don't want to like we, we could spend a lot of time here, but, but the point is, again, sometimes if we feel a little bit stuck or a little bit confused or what should I do or what should happen next, let's, let's, let's unplug from those confused emotions, take a step back and think about what would Jesus do? I don't remember how long ago it was that we all wore those bracelets, but it seems like maybe we should ask that question again. What would Jesus do? So he was joyful for the Philippians. Now, can we think of a time when we were going through some rough patches whatever they might be, none of us would have been incarcerated and shackled to a Praetorian recently, and be happy for someone else's success. That's very challenging. In fact, in the day and age, I actually wasn't planning on going here, but here we go, with social media, what do we put out there? Do we, do we put our trials, our struggles? Uh-uh. We put everything that's going great, and then, now I know there's some exceptions to this, and I know I'm guilty of stereotyping right now but the stereotype of what we see when we're doing this is the highlights of someone else's life. What does that do to us? It does things to our our whole perspective. We're like, what's the matter with me? Why am I not having easy times? But here's Paul in the midst of all of his hard times, scrolling through, seeing good things, and he was happy to be joyful for them. As he calls out in this passage too, he was also very, very focused on leaving a Christ-like legacy. He talks about running the race. He talks about that in other passages as well. Paul, Paul at the end of the day, knew that God was in control of what was going on. He knew that God was in control of him being in the prison. He knew that God was in control of the city of Philippi, the church of Philippi, doing well, doing real good things. And he knew that that was all in God's hands. So rather than have these anxieties and frustrations spin up when he's really wrestling with all these things and has no control over his situation... He was focused on that legacy. He was content to be sacrificed. And then, you know, these are the the examples in the passage we're looking at right now. But there's other examples from Paul's life, many more than just the four I have here. But just very briefly, I want to share a few of them. So Barnabas and John Mark, if you're not familiar with this story, John Mark, Barnabas, and Paul went on a missions trip. I'm simplifying. And John Mark bailed. So Paul had certain feelings about that. He wasn't super happy about John Mark. He's like, I don't know if I like this guy. And then they came back from the missions trip. Again, I'm simplifying, lots of times gone on. And Barnabas is like, hey, John Mark wants to go with us. And Paul's like, no way, not gonna happen. Now let's pump the brakes, let's take a snapshot. Is there unity in this interaction? I don't know, I don't. What I know is it's not internal. I know it's not, what are the words here? It's not secret displeasure. It is openly avowed, so it's not grumbling. It's not inward reasoning, so it's not disputing. Sorry, there's a lot of negatives there. My point is, this wasn't disunity. This was a conversation. So, and then, just to put a bow on this story, years later, after Barnabas and Paul had split, and they were, they were, buddies they were early partners they were early movers and shakers of the missions world in the new testament they split because of john mark much later paul writes i'd like to see john mark again turned out he was okay so what do we know from this well we know from this that paul wasn't one to be caught up in his own opinions he was willing to take another assessment he was willing to say i was wrong and here's where if we ask the question is this unity i would say yes because he's not stuck on that internal dialogue. He's not stuck on that assumptions of superiority. And we all know what that feels like. We've all been there at one time or another. Peter. Now, anyone that knows me has heard me talk about Paul and Peter and how much I love the dynamics between these two guys. Peter was a dummy. Peter was a grade A dummy. And just for kicks, and we have a little bit of time, the timeline here is important. so. Following Jesus' ascension, following Peter setting up a shop in Jerusalem, there was that vision, right? The sheets came down, the animals came down, Peter heard a vision, he saw the vision. God says to Peter, go be a missionary to the Gentiles. They're clean. I'm telling you they're clean. And that's not what he did. He decided to hang out in Jerusalem. He stayed in Jerusalem pretty much his whole life. And he decided to prioritize his missions work, to the Jewish population. And he did it so much so that younger believers were starting to call him out. Hey, why are you putting on a show? Why are you treating them better than the Gentiles? I'm having trouble with this. So then I think it's in the book of Colossians, but I'm not sure. Peter and Paul apparently had no small dispute. And Paul talks about disputing Peter to his face at some council, and I think it was in uh, Syria somewhere. And So here again, pump the brakes, take a snapshot. We've got two pillars of the New Testament yelling at each other. Well, I might be dressing that up. Having a strong discussion in front of a large group of leadership. Is this unity? Does your brain say no? Does your brain say maybe? Does your brain say yes? Again, it wasn't internalized. It wasn't disputed. Peter and Paul weren't coming at each other like they felt superior to each other. Maybe Peter. Paul was focused truly on the whole population of the Gentiles that was being missed. So we are back to that unselfish piece, that blameless piece. So maybe in that moment Paul was displaying unity and Peter wasn't. So here we go again. I want, I, want, I want to really drive this home. Biblical unity is very nuanced. It's very complex. You have to really be able to critically think through the situation, look at the motivations and the perspectives of each person. And then the other two, I mean I already spoke of them a little bit, but it's the leadership of the early church and modeling outreach to the Gentiles. So... Let's start to drive this home. Let's see that picture again, Barry. Let's think about this. Which of these, let me get my definitions out. I wanted to have it on the slide, and then I forgot. Which of these pictures do you think model considerate behaviors, Christ-like behaviors, blameless, innocent behaviors? Do any of these pictures, because these would be exclusionary criteria, model selfish behaviors, conceited behaviors? grumblings or disputing? I'm not going to answer that. I'm not, because you have to. I can't tell you what you think. But here's my goal, going back to that learning objective. Are we going to leave here with a better understanding of what biblical unity is based on this passage? Because if you're looking at these pictures differently, it's already starting to happen. You're already starting to think through some of it. One thing I think that's very important, one thing I think we can be very didactic about is that unity does not equal uniformity. All of us coming to church dressed the same doesn't make us unified. All of us coming to church with smiles on our face and kind words doesn't make us unified. Or that doesn't make us unified. It doesn't doesn't make us have unity. I know there's some back and forth there with the language. So... As you look at these pictures, like do you are there certain emotions John already played it, Jonathan already played his cards. There's some emotions over there. There's some emotional responses to some of these pictures. What are our thoughts about these pictures? I wonder what they're talking about. Why are they smiling? They're hiking out in the summer with babies? That sounds terrible. <laughs> I thought about that. I bet you if you don't have kids, you didn't think about that. Why in the Olympic picture is there only one podium instead of three? What are those protesters actually accomplishing? That's a question I have. <laughs> I'm not gonna solve that right now. Honestly, I will tell you, I'll play my cards. The picture that I thought showed the most unity just on the face of it without knowing the story was that Habitat for Humanity won. Here they are. Clearly not looking out for their own interests. They're spending their time, their resources. They're looking out for somebody else. They're openly and happily working. They're setting a good example. Did the Church of Philippi do something like that? I don't know. Maybe. So, as we, as we really want to wrap this up, I have some questions just for you guys to think through. We're not going to answer them. I don't really want to spend much time discussing them. Go ahead to the next slide, Barry. But... These speak to our objective, right? Did, did my understanding of unity change? What can I learn from Paul's life? How can I demonstrate unity? One of my takeaways for the last two weeks is to be thankful for people who are willing to have a conversation with me if they disagree with me. Are you, would you be thankful for that? Would you rather you not know? I uh, I don't think that's healthy. I think that brings us back to the grumblings and disputing piece, where we have this internalizing of a difference of opinion. And I actually did look into see if the words were the same. They aren't, so I can't say that. But in Hebrews, where it talks about the root of bitterness creeping in, I think those two things are related, because it's beneath the surface. You don't see it. All of a sudden, when you want to go down there and start digging things out, you start realizing that root just keeps going and going and going. There's this huge locust tree behind the back side of my fence and there's these little locusts that just keep popping up all over my backyard and they'll never stop coming, not until that tree is dead. So for us, as we think through, as we wrap, as we close, are there things going on in your life? Are there pieces? Are there conversations? Are there attitudes? Are there relationships? Are there people, maybe in the church with us right now today, that we should have a conversation with. Because day by day by day, especially now that you know. Can't say you don't know now. That's what's right here in the in, in Philippi, is internal disputings I think is far more dangerous than an external temper tantrum. So, if anything, I think the Peter-Paul temper tantrum, that led to growth. That led to change. It took 19 years, by the way. I didn't finish that story. That's how long it took for Peter to really change his mind and put himself out there. And he didn't do it until after Paul was dead, which I always thought was a bit of a cheat move. So, well, that's the, uh, the end of our time. And uh, I am very thankful to be having had this opportunity. And I hope that there's pieces of this you'll be able to chew on throughout the day. And... Uh, Maybe, maybe it'll be changing and helpful for you. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for what you give us. We thank you for a time to focus on Philippians chapter 2. We thank you for the model that Paul set. We thank you for the model that Jesus set. We thank you that one of the things we can learn from both of them is how subtle, internal, hidden attitudes can sometimes be much more harmful than just an overt Disagreement. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the remainder of our time today. Give us safety this afternoon as we go about our day. Well, thank you in your son's name. Amen. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. If you would like prayer, you can send your prayer request into prayer at gfchurch.net and we will pray for you. If you like this message, don't forget to subscribe on the podcast app, Google, or Spotify. Give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to seeing you next week.